1998. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page number 796 in our worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. <clears throat> For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I've lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the, of the grace of God. <clears throat> and now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of God. Thank you, Janice. In the text that Janice just read for you, the Apostle Paul, as you noticed, is speaking but he's speaking in a way very different than we've ever heard him speak in the book of Acts. If you've been tracking with us, we've been studying this book for about a year now, and uh, this is a very different conversation that he's having right here with these people than he's had before. In the past, we hear him speaking to crowds, preaching the gospel, 
But in this case, he's not preaching to crowds. He's talking to his friends, his good friends. In fact, these are, for the most part, leaders of the church there in Ephesus, a church that Paul had stayed at longer than any other church he was at. He had been there for two and a half years uh, about. This was uh, a very personal conversation that the Apostle Paul is having to this gathering of church leaders. These are his friends. These are people who've done ministry together with him. These are people he really, really cares, uh, really cares about. Now, let's get this context a little bit for you. The Apostle Paul is on his way toward Jerusalem. He's in this city. He's near the city of Ephesus. He's been sailing around. He just finished taking a trip. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's going to drop off a love gift from the churches in Greece and in modern-day Turkey, churches that he had helped to plant in the last few years, churches in the towns of Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, churches that are familiar to you if you're familiar with the Bible. He's made a trip to the west to, to, to get love gifts from all those churches. He's made his way back towards the east, towards Asia Minor, their modern-day Turkey, where he's now meeting in the island of Miletus. He's talking to the church leaders there, and he's going to resume. He's going to take that gift into, into Jerusalem, which is an eastward journey, and then his plan is to make a long trip westward to go towards Rome and ultimately towards Spain, where he intends to establish a new church planting center. But the Apostle Paul has a clear sense from the Holy Spirit that there's trouble and hardship ahead of him. In fact, if you listened carefully, you noticed that he doubts that he will ever see these people again. Imagine, we are talking today, and I'm talking to you, and I don't think I'll ever see you again. That would be sad, wouldn't it? I'd be sad about that. That's what's going on in this story. He's seeing people that he loves, that he's spent his life with, and he's going on, and he's going to go far away, and he doesn't think you'll ever see them again. So he wants to spend one last evening with them. And so as he's talking with them, his words are very transparent. He's not preaching. He's just talking. He's just telling them how he feels about them. He, here, here we see Paul, that it, who is not the preacher, but Paul, the pastor. This is Paul the pastor. He's not the, God, the, the epistle writer, the proclaimer, the, the troublemaker. He's Paul, the pastor. It's unlike any other speech in the book of Acts. And so, therefore, it has a very different feel. And as we go through it again, as Janice already read it for you, we'll see it has a, a very different flavor than any other kind of talk that we see the apostle uh, th that we see in the book of Acts. Luke, who has many speeches for many people, has this one in here because Paul has closed out his basic public ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's having one last conversation with people who really matter to him in the church, which is right now the most important church probably in the whole uh, uh, New Testament period. This, the center of power is now in that church in Ephesus. And so it's unlike any other speech in the book, in the book of Acts. It's a very personal talk. This is also a text of the Scripture that I want to let you know is very personal to me personally. This is a text which has been meaningful to me in my life and ministry. So, going by Paul's example, I'm going to take a little bit more of a personal and transparent approach to this text and to this talk this morning uh, as I sort of let you know how this text has served me in my life and in my ministry as I've tried to walk with God as a pastor. I've taken great lessons of encouragement and wisdom and a challenge from this talk because I see in the Apostle Paul how a pastor is supposed to be. That's what I see. 
how a pastor is supposed to be. It's kind of a tough message for me to preach because I fear it might be a little self-serving as I kind of talk about a pastor. And, you know, I'm sort of the, you know, we're not a large church, so there's not a lot of pastors I can say this to, you know. Uh, and I also fear that, you know, what feels really, you know, important to me may not be significant to you at all, you know. You know how that can be sometimes. Um, but given the fact that Paul is opening his heart to his beloved church family, it seems appropriate to me to do the same with you as I think about this text. And perhaps as we go along this way, God can use this text in the Scripture and this talk from me along with the power of the Holy Spirit to encourage you, to challenge you in your own specific walk with God, just as this text has challenged me. Well, for many years, it's been my practice to take a regular prayer retreat, a time of going away for fasting and prayer, just to seek the Lord and find His, His balance for my life. It gives me a chance to kind of recalibrate my personal walk with God and, and to seek God for wisdom as I seek to lead our church family. Well, on one such occasion, some years ago, I was at a retreat center not far from here, uh, somewhere near Paestoa Peak, the Dreamy Draw Phoenix Mountain Preserve area, at a treat, retreat center where I had been. I had a, a, some meetings in the morning. I think it was probably a Tuesday. I was going to be gone from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, something like that uh, is, would have been typical for me. And I had a, some meetings in the morning, and I was anxious to get on my way. So it was early in the afternoon, like what, uh, uh, 12, 1 o'clock or so, uh, on a beautiful probably spring morning or uh, February morning, something like that. And I, I, I dropped off my things, and I thought, boy, it's a beautiful day. I just want to go walking in the desert. You know, you ever do that? I just kind of want to go walking in the desert. So I didn't know where I was or, or what I was going to be doing, but I just th- found this one trail, um, and I was walking along, and it went a long ways this way. And after a while, I, I saw another trail. It didn't go to the right. It went to the left, but it kind of went up a mountain. And I'm just kind of, you know, you ever enjoy God in nature? That's what I was doing. I was enjoying God in nature, thinking about my life and thinking about decisions that I had to make and thinking about what was going on for me in ministry. And I was having a conversation with the Lord while I was walking along the way. And what I was basically saying to the Lord was this, Lord, I just ask you to show me that I'm on the right path, going the right way, you know, doing the right things on the right path. I was walking down this way, and I went up that way. And, you know, I don't mind that it's a hard path that I'm walking, but if I know that it's the right path, that's what I want to know. Could you just let me know? All I really care about, Lord, is that I'm in the center of your will doing your thing. That's what really, you ever said that kind of thing? Just let me know what you want me to do, and I'll do it. That's all that really matters to me. So I climbed this little knoll, so not much probably bigger than that, or maybe, maybe a little bit more than that, um, and uh, climbed up there, and I sat up and looked over the whole Phoenix Valley as you can from, from, those, uh, from those places, and I just had this real sense of God being with me up that beautiful morning, saying, Lord, just show me I'm on the right path. Show me I'm going the right way. That's all that really matters to me. Well, I hadn't brought any journal with me or anything like that. I was just all by myself, no Bible, nothing. So I'm up there for a while, and then I come back down, and, I, and then I go back to my room, and I begin now to kind of journal about my experience. It was kind of a meaningful experience to me to be up there and to sense God's presence as I was, as I was doing that. And so I began to write down basically what I just told you. Lord, I was just walking along the way, and, you know, I tend to write a lot, and, um, and I just want to know that I'm on the right path, going the right, going the right way. That just let me know that's all that really matters. When suddenly the Lord spoke to me and said to me this, Steve, is that true? Is it really true that all you care about is doing my will, going my way? 
What if my will for you is that this church never grow? What if that's my plan? What if that's the path I have? Well, when this happened in my head, it, I, it was like, my, my honest response was, Lord, you would not do that to me. <laughs> you would not do that to me. And the Lord seems to say, I might do that. <laughs> what if I want this church to go down in height? What if I want it to decline? What if, are you really serious? Are you really serious about walking my path, doing my thing, no matter what? Or is there an agenda under your obedience, Steve? I want to know. Well, I knew the answer to that question as soon as the question got asked. There was a definite agenda under my obedience. I was happy to follow God in any specific way, going any specific direction, as long as it led to the goals I thought were important, right? Which is exactly like saying you don't believe it. The Lord said, you know, I, he's to me, he said to me, I'm telling, you know, I don't, you know, I'm just telling, reporting it as I remember it, but uh, he said, you know, Steve, I've had many followers who meant that when they said it to me, who really meant it. Don't go saying that to me if you don't mean it. He reminded me of Isaiah in that moment. Isaiah, who had a vision of God in the temple, who had said to the Lord, here am I, send me, you know. And then the Lord said, go tell these people, be ever hearing and never responding. <laughs> in other words, go tell these, give these people a message they will never listen to. And, and, the Lord, and Isaiah said, Lord, how long? And basically the answer was for the rest of your life. But Isaiah meant it, the Lord seemed to say to me. When he said, here am I, send me, he meant it. And when Jeremiah said, I will follow you, he meant it. Steve, if you want to say you're going to really follow me, you need to mean it like those guys. And then he reminded me of the apostle Paul, and I turned it to this text. You didn't notice it when they read it. But look at the 24th verse. The Apostle Paul says about himself, uh, verse 22 and following, And behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by His Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. What's he saying? Bad stuff's coming. 24. But... I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish the course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus. That's almost verbatim what my prayer had been, right? Lord, I just want to know I'm on the right path, doing the right stuff. The only difference between Paul and me, the Lord seemed to say, was that Paul meant it, and you were blowing smoke. You're angry at things that haven't gone the right way, Steve. I know it's true. You need to follow me no matter what, no matter where. Well, this was not a very pleasant prayer retreat, let me tell you. It started out great, but I realized that I had some heart issues. And the Lord said to me in, the, in that conversation, he, just, Steve, he said, Steve, I know what, what was going on in this past Sunday. You had a great message. This is I'm not lying, guys. This is the truth. I'm telling you. I mean, it's the best I remember. It was a long time ago. But uh, the, the previous Sunday, he said to me, um, I know what you were thinking. You had a great message. You had a great message. And you were upset that there weren't more people there to hear it. I, I know. You were disappointed. It wasn't good enough to you 
to simply hear my word and to share it with those I brought that day. But you were disappointed that more people didn't hear that great talk you gave. And it was a good one. But your attitude. And he said, what about that lady you met with just before? Sorry, this is kind of, even though it's a long time ago, it's fresh memory. Just before you came on this prayer retreat. What about that lady? Well, what had happened was that someone active in our church family had called me on Monday saying to me, Steve, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And so we set an appointment for Tuesday. I was planning to leave right away Tuesday, but we had an appointment Tuesday. And that person came in and began to pour out her heart about some things in her life directly related to that Sunday's message. Directly related. There were some things that I said that day that touched her in a way that she would say today changed her life. Changed her life. And he said to me, of course, I didn't know what would happen in the future. I just knew that I had an appointment that day. And he seemed to say, Steve, this person that you met with, your message impacted her. But you cared more about the fact that more people didn't get your message than the fact that this lady's life was touched. We need to do some work on your heart, Steve. So I began then a journey, which I hope I'm still taking, which is to try to say, Lord, I want to be able to say, I will follow you wherever, whenever, no matter what. Yeah, it's a difficult, it's a difficult process. And I know I try to be always positive, and I mean this in a positive way to you as well. But sometimes we have to be careful. Are there agenda around my following Jesus? So I began, of course, to study through this pastor. That Well, here's a pastor who did it right. What can I learn from him and about the way he went about ministry? Yeah, the apostle Paul really meant it. I realized that I had been bargaining with God, that if I did my part, he owed me something back. He owed me something back. You know, I needed a new definition of what it meant to be faithful in ministry, and I just had some growing up to do. Yeah. So I began to take a careful look at Acts 20, this Acts 20 passage. I wanted to be able to say honestly what the Apostle Paul said, not just blowing smoke like I had been an hour or so before. I wanted to be honestly able to say, I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus. That's become a very powerful verse to me. I think I'm still learning what that means, but I want to be able to say that only thing that matters to me is that I can finish the course and the ministry God has given to me. As I was preparing this message, I, was, I started to look for those notes that I wrote down. I probably wouldn't have read them for you anyway, but I want to see if my memory had forgotten anything, and it would have taken too long because I don't know which notebook it would have been in, but I ran across some notes from four years ago, about September, October of four years ago. And at that moment, which was long after this story I'm telling you, at that moment, I was writing about the decision that I was, Don and I were making. Should we take the risk of starting this church in Cave Creek? It was hard. It was hard for us. You know, it felt like it was foolhardy. <laughs> it felt like, you know, I'd already failed before. I didn't want to fail again. I, it felt like this is, I just felt like this makes no sense. And you know what was hardest for me in some ways 
was knowing that if I made the decision to do this, I'd have to actually tell people this was my decision. You know? And they'd say, what? You know, people who know me, you know, people who... Uh, uh, and I remember reading about that, and, and I remember that uh, challenge. But I had begun to learn a lesson long ago, I would say probably 15 years ago when this happened. I had begun to learn that what matters is finishing the course God sets out for you. And that's where true joy happens, even if it's painful, even if it's hard. And so, as I began to study this text, it seemed to me that it just gave to me some very powerful principles for me as I tried to approach ministry. What do I see in the Apostle Paul? And I hope for the helpful to you as well. Well, there are four things. There are many things, but there's four I want to highlight as we kind of finish our time together here today. Number one, the Apostle Paul was an effective minister because, number one, he sincerely loved the people of God. He sincerely loved the people of God. Verse 18, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. In verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And throughout this story, we can look at other examples of it, there's this tremendous, you just feel the love between these people. Do you? If you listen to it, they just feel the love. He warns them. He loves them. There is a sincere love. And what I had realized, that I had been more committed to the work I was called to do than to people I was being called to serve, no matter how many, no matter where, no matter who. Sincerely love the people of God. That's why you realize, you, you realize how grateful I am to be able to be your pastor. And I hope that there's a love that's sincere, for me and for us together, I feel that. I need so much to grow in that, that I don't just love being able to talk about God, but to love the people that I'm talking to. The Apostle Paul was effective in ministry because he sincerely loved people. Yeah, people, you know, it's a truism. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. That's true, and it's just true. And it's true in this whole a drama of this Christian life that we're called to live. Love is the hallmark of the church. Jesus didn't say they will know we are Christians by our sound doctrine. He didn't say they would know we are Christians by our ethical teaching. What did he say? They will know we are Christians by our love. And specifically what he meant was the love that these Christians have for one another, black and white, slave and free, Greek and Jew, this love that went beyond boundaries, that welcomed everybody, this, this love for people unlike themselves, this new community that something new would be happening. See, the, 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 the resurrection just didn't, didn't just give us a new life ultimately to have with God in the future. Yes, we get that. But it gave to us a new community. The evidence of the resurrection of the power of Jesus Christ is to be found in these communities of faith where people are brought together around the good news of the gospel. And there's love among them. Love is so important. And it's been a challenge for me to continue to learn what it means to be a loving person. I have a long ways to go with this. I wish I was farther along. 
this week, there have been challenges, even within our church family. People are going through difficult times. You know, some of us are moving soon. Some of us are wrestling with illness. Some of us have lost loved ones recently. Some of us have marriages that are just in deep trouble. Some of us have financial situations that we're just scared to death what the next phone call might bring. Some of us are awaiting the birth of a long-awaited baby. Some of us, oh, they're just, all of us are here. We're just a family together. First John says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Yes, Paul was a faithful minister because, a successful minister, because he sincerely loved the people of God. I hope to model my life that way, and maybe we can all do that, loving one another, loving the people brought, God has brought into our lives. Number two, Paul was a successful minister because he faithfully taught the Word of God. He faithfully taught the Word of God. It's all the way through this text. 20th and 21st verse, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. I thought of that as I read it. When the apostle Paul taught in public, uh, he was teaching in the hall of Tyrannus, but often he's teaching outdoors like we do today. And from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of the repentance, to, of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He faithfully taught. He did not shrink from declaring anything that was valuable to them with regard to the Word of God. Verse 26, Therefore I testify to you that this day I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The Apostle Paul tells them that soon they're, they're going to face crisis. There are going to be people both from within and without who will try to shake the foundations of their faith. They need to be strong in the truths of Scripture so that they know the truth so they can respond accurately to the problems that happen from within and from without. And we have the same issues ourselves. It's so important that we be prepared, that we are taught to think a new way, to, to live a new way, to be able to understand the truths of Scripture. Yeah. It's so important for us as a church to teach biblical truth in a culture which has lost its way. We're just floating by every wind and uh, wherever the winds blow. That's where our culture is going. We need to be able to teach the truth, even if it's unpopular, even if it's not always, even if it's somewhat counterintuitive to the way things are in the world, even if it doesn't follow the conventional wisdom or it's not politically correct. We need to teach the biblical truth in a culture which has lost its way. But you know, it's not just the culture out there that needs biblical truth. We need to hold our own religious notions up to the magnifying or the mirror of Scripture. Oh, it's so easy for us to assume that my opinions are God's opinions. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. If you have no aha moments, no uncomfortable moments with regard to your own convictions, you're probably not paying attention because we never get this quite right. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get these thoughts that are everywhere and bring them under the order of Jesus Christ. Yes, we need to be people who know the Scripture. That's why, you know, we make no apologies. That's what we do here. You come here, 
We'll open the Bible. We'll talk about it. We'll go to the next section right through. That's just what we do. Why? Because we think there's wisdom from God in this that will help us in our lives. So we need to take every thought captive. We need to bring our theological questions under the authority of Scripture and realize we don't always get it exactly right. Some people are Calvinists. Some people are Arminian. Do we understand those issues or do we have an opinion about them? Some people are cessationists. Some people are charismatic. Do we understand those issues or we just have an opinion about them? If you only know your point of view, you don't know much. You know what I'm saying? If you can't explain why faithful Christians throughout history have baptized infants, then you, haven't, don't, you don't have a position that's well-grounded yet. If you don't understand why faithful people throughout history have baptized only believers, then you don't understand. Because the truth is, faithful Christians have come both sides of that. Have you ever brought your opinions under the authority of Scripture? Now, I know I've made some of you upset by that, but that's just the honest truth. We need to think through these things. It's called pedo-baptism and credo-baptism. Or women in ministry, do you just assume that the way you think is the right way, or do you, have you looked at it in terms of Scripture? We need to be thinking about these things. We need to bring all of our convictions underneath the authority of Scripture, realizing that we don't get it quite perfectly right, and we need to be respectful of people who see things differently than ourselves, or ethical questions, or even, oh my goodness, political questions. <laughs> oh my goodness, have you ever thought what it means to take your political points of view captive to obedience to Christ? I'm not telling you to change your opinion. I'm saying to bring them under the authority of Scripture. Yeah. Ethical questions, how I spend my money, how I handle my sexual self, how I treat people who disagree with me or who are different than me. You know, it's one thing to have a strong point of view, but remember, Jesus laid down his life for his enemies. He loved those who are different than him. Oh, it's hard uh, for us always to know what does the Word of God teach about some of these things, but that's something that we need to do that I'm committed to doing, to faithfully teaching the Word of God. I often say, I, try, I trust the authority of Scripture too much to try to make it say what it doesn't clearly say, you know? And if people have been fighting about some issues, equally devoted Christians, let's give them the freedom of the doubt. Meanwhile, there's a whole world out there who needs to know that Jesus loves them while we're here fighting about whether it should be this or that, you know? No. Let's get about the business of doing what Jesus has called us to do. We want to teach Scripture here at our church when we do that. Okay. Number three, obediently followed the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul was an effective minister because he obediently followed the Spirit of God. Verse 22 to 24, I already talked about these. These are the significant words. I'm going to Jerusalem. I know it's going to be hard, but verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and my ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The Apostle Paul was willing to follow Jesus no matter what. Yeah, I discovered I needed a new definition for success in ministry because the definition I had default operated under was this. If I do what I'm supposed to do, everything will work out and everyone will be happy. That's what I, you know, if I do what I'm supposed to do, everything will go well and everybody will be happy. Well, what happens if people don't do well or they're not happy? I blame myself. But you know, it's possible to do the right thing and get crucified for it, right? So, I decided that true success in ministry would no longer be measured that way. That for me, true success in ministry would involve three things. 
I must surrender myself to the Lordship of Christ. I must follow the promptings of His Holy Spirit. I must leave the results to God. A Trinitarian view of ministry, surrendering myself to Christ's Lordship, following the promptings of His Spirit, leaving the results to God. That seemed to me what I needed to do. And the fourth thing, I know I'm out of time, but I have one more thing to say. The, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul was an effective minister because he committed the church to the grace of God. He committed the church to the grace of God. I love this in the verse 32. And now I commend you to God and the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He commended them to the word of God and to God and to the word of His grace. See, he was leaving them, and he was willing to leave them and to see that God would take care of them. He trusted that church. It wasn't his church. It didn't depend just on him. Uh, he didn't always blame himself or take the credit when things didn't go well. He just did what was supposed to be done, and he trusted that church to the grace of God. Well, those four principles have been principles that have been important to me as I've gone about trying to be a, an effective minister as falteringly as I do by trying to be a person who sincerely loves the people of God, who faithfully teaches the Word of God, who obediently follows the Spirit of God, and who commits the results, commits the church to the grace of God. Yeah. And I encourage you as you think about your life. Perhaps God is calling you to be a person who more effectively learns to love the people that God has put in your life, who more, is more eager to learn God's Word to apply it to your life, who's seeking to obey God's Spirit and let it go of your bargaining nature with God and then to trust God's leading. Oh, by the way, that woman who met with me later became a very dear friend to us. Ultimately, we hired her to be on our staff at our church. The change in her life was enormous. But the change that happened in my life because of her as a result coming to me was enormous too. There's a mutuality about that. God has a way of even taking our mistakes and bringing good out of them. Well, as I said, this is kind of a simple talk this morning as I thought through how it is the Lord has spoken to me through this passage, and of course it affects the what you get from me on Sundays, for better or for worse. But let us be a church who loves one another, who seeks to follow God's Word, who seeks to obey His Spirit, and who leaves the results to His grace. Let's pray as we close. Father, I'm thankful that even though sometimes you have to uh, catch, us, catch us on the way, that you always do so in love, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and training so that we as people of God may be fully equipped and ready for every good work. Father, you've been doing a miracle, really, in our church family by bringing to life this church. And we believe you're going to continue to use us as we seek to follow you in the next decades. Help us to be faithful.
Help us to be able to say, Lord, just let us know we're on the right path, going the right way, and that's enough. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.